0: chapter four of campfire tales of jackson hole by g Brian harry this librivox recording is in the public domain the story of dead men's bar by frithioff jackson hole widely reputed to have been the favored retreat and rendezvous of cattle thieves outlaws and bad men in the early days has long enjoyed the glamour which goes with a dark and sinful past and this reputation has by no means been lost sight of by those who have been active in advertising the assets of this fascinating region but when the dispassionate historian critically investigates the basis for this reputation he is surprised to find so little evidence wherewith to justify it or to indicate that pioneer times in jackson hole were much different from those in other nearby frontier communities and he is forced to conclude that the notoriety of Jackson Hole, like the rumor of Mark Twain's death, has been slightly exaggerated. Doubtless, the geographic features of the valley have encouraged the popular belief, for from the standpoint of isolation and inaccessibility, Jackson Hole might well have been a paradise for the fugitive and lawless. But, in fairness to the old idea, which one is reluctant to abandon, it must be conceded that among the authentic narratives that have come down to us from pioneer times there are one or two which hold their own with the choices that wild west fiction has dared to offer and these bolster up to some extent the rather faltering case for jackson hole's former exceptional badness such a narrative is the story of dead man's bar there are few residents of the jackson hole country who have not heard of the dead man's bar affair a triple killing which took place in the summer of eighteen eighty six along the snake river and which gave this section of the river the name dead man's bar it is the most grim narrative and the most celebrated in the pioneer history of the valley and its details are sufficiently bloody to satisfy the most sanguinary tourist thirsty for western thrills Emil Wolfe's narrative when Colonel Ericsson, Mr. Owen, and the writer visited Emil Wolfe on August ninth, nineteen twenty eight we found him stricken with the infirmities of old age and confined to what proved to be his deathbed. Nevertheless, his senses were alert, and his memory concerning the period in question keen and accurate. The account he gave checked in detail with one he had given Colonel Ericsson a year earlier and his recollection of names and dates agreed in most cases with evidence obtained later from other sources in his feeble condition however wolf was so weakened by the telling of his story that the interview had perforce to be cut short and certain questions left unanswered a few questions wolf declined to answer with the statement that there were features of the affair he would like to forget if he could and there were others He had never told anyone and never would. What he had told other men, he said, he would tell us. Concerning himself, Mr. Wolfe stated he was 76 years old and a German by blood and birth, having been born in 1854 in Luxembourg. He received an education along medical lines in the old country. While still a very young man, only 16, he emigrated to America, he served for some years in the united states army in the far west part of the time as a volunteer doctor his first visit to the jackson hole region was in 1872 when he came to teton basin pierre's hole for a brief period in 1878 while serving under lieutenant hall he came into jackson hole his detachment being sent to carry food to lieutenant doane's outfit which had lost its supplies in the snake river while engaged in a geological survey of the jackson hole area in eighteen eighty six wolf stated he came to the region to stay settling first in teton basin it was in this year that the dead Men's bar incident took place the account of this affair which follows is pieced together from the facts given by wolf no information gained from other sources has been introduced and there have been no changes made in the story other than the rearrangement of its details into historical order the account as set forth has been verified by both colonel erickson and mr owen who were present at its telling in the spring of eighteen eighty six four strangers came into jackson hole to take up placer mining along snake river whose gravels were reputed to be rich in gold the new outfit had been organized in montana and originally had consisted of three partners Henry Welter, T. H. Tiggerman, and August Kellenberger, the Germans, as they came to be called. Henry Welter, who had previously been a brewer in Montana, proved to be an old friend and schoolmate of Emil Wolf's from Luxembourg. Tiggerman was a gigantic fellow who had served on the King's Guard in Germany. He seemed to be something of a leader in the project, claiming, apparently on insecure grounds. That he knew where placer gold was to be obtained august kellenberger also a brewer by trade was a small man who had two fingers missing from his right hand the trio of prospective miners had added a fourth man to the unit one john tonner by name also a german under promise of grub and a split in the cleanup the miners located near the center of jackson hole on the north bank of the snake river where that river flows west for a short distance. They erected no cabins, according to Wolf, but lived in tents pitched in a clearing among the trees on the bar, within a few hundred yards or so of the river. Occasional visits to the few ranchers then in this portion of the territory brought them a few acquaintances. Once they ran out of grub and crossed Teton Pass to Wolf's place to get supplies wolf recalled that they paid for their purchases with a twenty-dollar gold piece they wanted a saw and wolf directed them to a neighbor who had one this they borrowed leaving ten dollars as security on the occasion of this visit they spoke of building a raft to use in crossing the snake at their workings and wolf tried to dissuade them from the project assuring them that they did not appreciate how dangerous the snake could be when on the rise but they laughed off his warnings, with the statement that they had built and handled rafts before, and knew their business. Wolf learned little, until later, concerning the mutual relations of the four men on the bar, nor concerning what success, if any, they had in finding gold. Late that summer, when haying time was at hand in Teton Basin, Wolf was surprised to see a man approaching his cabin on foot seeing any man and especially one afoot was a rare sight in those days commented wolf it proved to be the miner tonner and he had asked to be given work curious as to what was up between tonner and his partners wolf quizzed him but received only the rather unsatisfactory statement that tonner had left the three miners while they were making plans to raft the snake in order to fetch a supply of meat for the camp with hay ready for cutting, Wolf was glad to hire Tonner for work in the fields. For a month the two men slept together, and during this time Wolf noticed that Tonner invariably wore his gun or had it within reach. But while he suspected that all was not right, he made no further investigation. Wolf retained a mental picture of Tonner as being a small, dark-complexioned man of rather untrustworthy appearance and manner. Once, Tonner instructed Wolf to investigate a certain hiding place in the cabin, and he would find some valuables which he asked him to take care of. Wolf did so, and claims that he found a silver watch and a purse containing $28. Then one day, late in August, a sheriff and posse came to the cabin and asked Wolf if he could furnish information concerning whereabouts of the miner, Jack Tonner. At the time, Tonner was absent, working in the fields briefly the posse explained that tonner's three partners had been found dead that tonner was believed guilty of their murder and that the posse was commissioned to take him horrified to think that for a month he had sheltered and slept with such a desperate character wolf could only reply my god grab him while you can tonner was found on a haystack and captured before he could bring his gun into play from the posse wolf learned that a party boating from yellowstone park down the lewis and snake rivers under the leadership of one free had stopped at the workings of the miners but had found them unoccupied just below the encampment at the foot of a bluff where the snake had cut into a gravel bank they had come upon three bodies lying in the edge of the water weighted down with stones they had reported the gruesome find and the arrest of tonner on wolf's place resulted Wolf dr w a hawker a surgeon from evanston and a couple of wolf's neighbors from teton basin hurried to the scene of the killings a place which has ever since been known as dead men's bar they readily identified the bodies tiggerman by his size and kellenberger from the absence of two figures on his right hand they found that kellenberger had been shot twice in the back that welter had an axe cut in the head and that tiggerman's head was crushed presumably also with an axe wolf gave it as their conclusion that the three men must have been killed well asleep and that their bodies had been hauled up onto the rim and rolled down the gravel bluff into the river where they had lodged in shallow water and subsequently been covered with rocks probably the water had fallen more fully exposing the bodies so that they had been discovered by freeze men wolf and Hocker removed the heads of welter and chiggerman and cleaned the skulls preserving them as evidence wolf denied that they buried the bodies but claimed that they threw them back in the edge of the water and covered them again with rocks tonner pleaded not guilty and was taken to evanston the county seat of united county which then embraced the westernmost strip of wyoming territory and here he was tried the following spring before judge samuel corn Wolfe was called to testify at the trial, mentioning, among other things, the incident of the watch and the purse, both of which he was positive Tonner had stolen from his murdered partners. To the general surprise of Wolfe, Judge corn and others present at the trial, Tonner was acquitted by the jury despite the certainty of his guilt. What subsequently became of him is not clear. Wolfe was questioned on this point and at first declined to speak. Later, however, expressing the belief that Tonner probably went back to the old country for fear that friends of Welter, Tiggerman, and Kellenberger might take the law into their own hands since the jury had failed to convict him. Concerning the question of motive for the killing, Wolf stated that he knew Tonner and the three men quarreled. The original partners planned to turn Tonner loose when his services were no longer needed in sluice digging, etc., minus his share in the cleanup. To discourage his persisting with their outfit, they had beaten him up badly a few days prior to the murders, but instead of leaving Tonner, had stayed at camp, nursing his bruises and plans for revenge, finally carrying out the latter to the consummation already described. Wolfe did not believe that robbery was a factor of much importance in instigating the crime. From parties who heard the trial, it appears that there were no eyewitnesses to the tragedy save the defendant therefore the prosecution was compelled to rely solely on circumstantial evidence the theory of the attorneys for the defendant was that the three deceased persons were prospectors without funds and that they represented to the defendant that they had discovered a valuable mining claim and it induced him to put up considerable money to grubstake and furnish necessary funds to work the claim that soon after these men were on their way to the jackson hole country they began to pick quarrels with the defendant that on the day of the shooting one of the prospectors remained in camp with the defendant and the other two went away to do some prospecting that the one who remained in camp picked a quarrel with the defendant and the defendant was compelled to kill him in self defense it was recalled that after the verdict was rendered the defendant got out of town in a hurry taking the first freight train that attorney blake was the principal trial attorney for the defendant and that he afterwards stated he never got a cent for saving the neck of the defendant who had promised to send him some money as soon as he could earn it and that he had never heard from him note dr Freixel and colonel ericson immediately following their interview with mr wolfe on august ninth nineteen twenty eight investigated the site of dead men's bar they found unmistakable traces of the diggings the camp and the road constructed years before by the four prospectors. Dr. Freitzel's study of the site cleared up any uncertainty as to the exact location of this historic spot, which was placed on the north side of the Snake, in the southwest quarter of Section 23, T-44N, R-115W. The sluice ditch of the miners, though overgrown with brush and partially filled with gravel, was easily located it tapped a beaver dam located just above the bar and followed along the base of the terrace discharging into the snake about a half mile from its source numerous prospect pits were found on the bar some of them appeared more recent than those dug by tonner and the other germans thus were probably the work of later prospectors dr feitzel states all of the workings 1928 now observable speak graphically of the expenditure of much hard labor from which returns were if never forthcoming the statement is significant and is bored out by an old sign crudely lettered which was reportedly found later in the vicinity paying gold will never be found here no matter how many men tries there's some enough to beguile one like tanglefoot paper does flies End of Chapter Four.